Mr. Dan Fleischman, thank you so much, my man. So we're back at it again with this. Uh, this time we're doing a whole hour, so that's, that's pretty it. sick. Yeah. All right. So my first question: How did you get started as an entrepreneur, and was that something you were since day one as a kid, or did this kind of just bounce off to being who you are today? I started when I was four years old. Four. So I had a little table set up at the swap meet every weekend, and I had comic books and baseball cards. And my parents, you know, we had we were living off twenty four grand a year for a family of four. So every weekend they would set up their van full of Levi's jeans and sell them at the swap meet. And I had my little table next to them and I would help them with the jeans a little bit, but I was selling baseball cards and comic books and just kind of leveling up. I did that for four years. So I think it all really truly started there because I loved the game. Ever since you were four years old, what got you like so intrigued? I mean, when you're four, are you even thinking about that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I was so excited every weekend. Really? Oh, yeah. Were your parents kind of installing this into you? Were they entrepreneurs themselves? I was there just to be there. I was just supposed to be sitting on the jeans and being cute. Like, I was was just supposed to be there. (laughs) But I I was boring, so. But, so you kind of just enjoyed selling and were you making money on your own? Absolutely. Okay. All right. That's interesting. It's funny because like I, it just came up a few weeks ago, like, Three of the cards that I had were Mickey Mantles that are all worth over a million dollars. And there's that box is somewhere and we can't find it. Huh. Like I got like Babe Ruth, so I got Mickey Three Mantles. Million, you said? One million each. Oh, oh one, one to one point five million each. Oh whoa. Okay. I remember very clearly when I had them till like I was twelve or thirteen, and then that box I moved out, uh, moved to a different city and we can't find that box. But I remember so clearly the the Mickey Mantles, the Babe Ruth, the Hank Aaron home run king. Like I had these cards that I had acquired when I was four to eight years old that are now worth five figures, six figures, and three of them are seven figures. What the heck? I wish I would. That's insane. Yeah, that's fun. We were just talking about this at a uh, family dinner. Okay, so this is, so, so you've been, I guess, at it since a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but in high school, I was working three jobs. I was working at the stadium selling cotton candy. I was working at Ruby's Diner as a bus, bus boy and a host, and working for a stockbroker under the table. Why? I had to. Like, why do you do everything that you do? Even till today, what's your why? I didn't have a choice. Till now. But right now you sort of have a choice. Cool. Yeah, but now it's I just freaking love it. <laughs> like yeah. I, you can't you can't train passion. You can get people excited to have passion, but you can't train passion. People have to want it. Like so if you don't have a passion towards something, do you just go on to something else? Absolutely. I turn down ninety nine point nine nine percent of things. There's so many deals that come in that I just don't do that would make money, but I'm not just in it for money. Like I regret not doing real estate ever, but I also don't regret it at all because I know I would have just leveraged the money to do my You're entrepreneurial projects right anyways. Yeah. Like it's silly that I didn't do real estate because it's easy, it's simple, math, timing. You just know you're gonna make money with real estate over time. And I just never did any of it. Mm-hmm. Because I like the game, I like the entrepreneurship, I like physical products and mobile apps and building businesses. And like, so people bring me deals all the time that are like, you can make X and just invest Y. I don't even consider them. It's not interesting to me. Interesting. Okay, so question I got for you then. So right now with Mogul Insider, we're at a position where we want to create this really, I would say, large vision in a sense where my biggest thing is to be as abundant as possible. So we decided to kind of, I guess you kind of do the same thing in a sense like I call it brand incubation. So like where we take on people who want to create podcasts, who want to do what they love to do, and we give them like a full-time job, manage their brand, grow their brand. My question to you is this, this, all this stuff requires a lot of resources and I'm sure a lot of people watching today are creating something so big, bigger than them that they're not sure how to be so resourceful when they're at a small position. So what would you recommend for someone like me, an upcoming entrepreneur? How do I go out and get the resources that I need and what kind of steps do I need to take to really create 
this into reality. Yeah, so the three resources it takes to build a business are money, time, and energy. So money, you either have to be working side jobs, working main jobs, making this on the side, or raising money. There isn't really another thing to it. You, you, shouldn't, and you shouldn't and couldn't monetize it until you've built a bit of a business and a following. Meaning you have to have, you don't want to be selling people anything until it's like you've given them so much value that they have to buy or they want to buy because they feel almost obligated to buy from you. Hmm. Time, the only way to get more time is to make more of yourself. So you need more staff. Staff can be interns. Every single college and every single trade school, it is mandatory to be an intern for X amount of hours to graduate. So if you go to LA Film School, they have 3,400 students. 3,400 of them have to do X amount of hours to graduate. Wouldn't they rather work for you here than work at some stuffy job? So energy is you. You have to be the ball of energy. Everybody around you feeds off of that. So you want to create more people around you and more reasons for them to either be able to make money or build their career. Hmm. Okay. And what does value mean to you? So value means you're doing something for them that helps them in their life. So whatever's important to them. Some people, the graduation hours are important. Some people, building their personal brand is important. Some people, they want to do good for charity or they want to do something for the world. Some people just want to make money. Some people just want to have the idea that they can make money in the future. So the value part is you have to know what triggers somebody. Like if you offer me money, I don't care. My, my trigger level will be zero. Like if I had a little odometer, <laughs> but then if you said, oh, I'm going to help you pass out a thousand backpacks, you know, like you, you have to know what's going to trigger something for somebody emotionally. And you have to gauge that when you meet them. Like if you go meet a videographer at a film school, you know that they want to graduate. You know what they want. Do they want to make money? They may not want to build a personal brand yet. Maybe they're, they're 19. They don't know that yet. Yeah. Maybe they don't care about charity. Maybe they don't care about X, Y, Z. You have to think about what they care about and set that so, the so does this correlate to being a priority for someone? Because what I've realized in my experience is when it comes to, you know, interviews and just obviously after the interviews, I like to connect and do some work together where I've realized that I'm kind of like, and I understand why, a very low priority for the people that I talk to. So is that because I'm moguls. not providing? Hmm? You're talking to moguls. Yeah. So in order to provide value for them, you have to do something for their personal brand or for their business. It's not that you're here. Is that there's lots and lots so and lots much. and lots of people. They have their staff, they have their family, they have their clients, they have their vendors, they have their manufacturer, they have their there's lawyers and accountants and attorneys and press and like there's just so much stuff going on for moguls. So the people you're dealing with, if you go interview Damon John, well he's got three hundred investments or whatever the number is. Like he's got thousands and thousands of interactions and people and he's getting bombarded from every angle. It's not a disrespect to you, it's just not physically possible to answer everybody unless you peek your head out by doing something that's like hey we made this awesome video for you or hey our podcast got featured on the cover of this magazine for today or this channel hey look it's up on espn.com or entrepreneur.com like it has to be a trigger point that stands out from all the noise okay so it's not about you i don't there's no offense to you it's no i understand that I because there, there's, a, there's other podcasts that are way bigger and the same scenario happens. It's still just math. Yeah. Damon John, I'm just using the example, is bombarded. With a thousand different things. Yeah. So you have to stand I mean, out from the crowd. 
So that takes me to my next question. Everyone that's in the podcast world, I've seen it so far right now. We're at a point where getting to people at the level that you're at is not, you know, as tough as it was. However, getting to people like Damon John, the Shark Tanks, the more the higher entrepreneurs with a lot more noise around them because the higher you go, the more noise is around them. What sort of like, is it really something as simple as like a video that would pop up that may make them go, whoa, okay, I like these guys? Or is there more to it or am I just overthinking it? They're, they're going to do it if you get other people that they respect on your podcast. Okay. So once you get one, you can get all the other ones. It's yes. kind of like you have to have a credit card to get a credit card. You got to have a good lawyer's job to get a good lawyer's job. To get f- first, you look at some of these podcasters that have gone from zero to top 10 last in 2018. You have Joel Marion. Ed Milet, and then Andy Frisella is crushing everybody at staying at number one most of the time. How did they do it? And how did Logan Paul do it? Logan Paul is easy because he has a follower. tens of millions of followers. Yes. So that, that doesn't count. But Joe Marion went from, Joe Marion and Ed Milet are the best examples because they went from zero to top 10 in a year. How? They got their initial big people first, and then everybody else wanted to do it because their podcast was Dude. high ranking. Andy Frisella doesn't have anybody on his podcast. Like, he has a couple people a month. No, a couple people every quarter, maybe. He's doing it all by himself. How is he crushing it? His content is twice a week, every single week, top level, very straightforward. And he's building this culture underneath him that people want to share it, and he's asking them to share it. And then when he does bring the occasional person on, it's like Lewis Howes, you know, people that are, yeah. And it's... And not only just big names, but like impactful people that like, oh man. These guys are up to something. Yeah. Yeah. The, this, that, that's the guy that shot Osama bin Laden. Whoa, I'm going to watch that. You know, like. that's it, Yeah, I've, I've been noticing that, you know, Patrick, but David. Yeah. Valuetainment. So I noticed like how he had like very cool interview, an interview with the mafia boss. That was so controversial. I but you like, know what changed his life is he got Kevin Hart. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get Kevin Hart, what else? I mean, who else is going to say no to you once you get Kevin Hart? True. So say, give or, give or take, say I interview somebody like Patrick. How do I go on by asking like, hey, I need, and this is honestly for me, but also for a lot of the viewers out there, I get these questions all the sure, time. Of course. How do I go off go off and ask, hey, for somebody like Kevin Hart? Is that even an ask or is that something that kind of just happens? Like, take me through that. What's the worst thing that can happen if you ask? Just to no. know. They don't respond or they say no. If you ask 40 different Kevin Hart's and one of them says yes, you win. You know what the cost is of asking 40 Kevin Hart's? Zero. Like actual zero. Yeah. So I guess it's just the confidence or the insecurity of losing. Do you think your podcast is good? I think it's great. I think it's so. You just answered your own question. You just answered your own question. (laughs) Yeah, I think especially with the vision that we're working on. If you think your podcast is great, how how dare you not message those people? Mm, Okay, so that's the mindset you got to have. All right, I see. They're not doing you a favor. Yeah. Hmm. If you're going to make them a good video, if you're going to make them a good podcast and show them in a good light, they're not doing you a favor. Oh, it's great content. And it's not just about the content. I mean, the vision that we're working on is something else. They no podcast know. has ever done it yet. They don't know that part. Yeah. They know what they're going to be able to show to their people is a really cool video for them. I see. Pat, Kevin Hart reposted Patrick Pet David's video about him twice. That doesn't happen. You know why it happened? It's a good video and he liked the guy. Simple. Connect emotionally, have great content. Content is king today. That's, 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 that's interesting. So take me, I'm sure you're like a marketing guru. I mean, you work with a lot of brands. So give or take right now. So right now we're at a position where we're building and we're, we've gotten pretty good amount of guests. I mean, just February alone, we were booked out probably about 14 guests. And so my question to you is 
we have all these guests. We're putting them on. However, I guess we're not. We're using kind of organic reach. Any advice on how to grow? I want to say faster because I understand things take time. But how to get a bigger audience, especially with the names that we're bringing on board? Well, you have to create the video that it's about them. Then they will post it. If the video starts off with you, or is mostly with you, or mostly about you, they're not going to post it. And again, it's not about you. It's the fact that their audience, their engagement will be less if it's somebody that they don't recognize. To personal so, brands. So, so the vi- the video that you make for them should literally be about them. You're in it, but it, the video should start off with their face at the very first three seconds, critical, so that the people continue to watch. And the video, if you're leading the question, it should be five or ten words, not starting off the video with you, otherwise people will go away. Hmm. So the video has to be about them, look like a highlight reel about them with cool effects about them, then they'll post it. If they post it, you win. Okay. Does that make sense? Like yes. It, everything has to be about them. You are going to win no matter what. Like, it, it's really important to think about that in most aspects of your life. Like, you make things about your staff or about your girlfriend or boyfriend. Like, you make it about them, you're always going to win. If you make them happy, you're always going to win. But you have to focus about making them happy. Your staff, your customers, your lover, your family. Like, making a thing about everybody else, you're always going to win. No matter what. If you make it about you. No one likes that. It's kind of something we were actually talking to one person that works with us in the marketing aspect where he said, like, for my brand, make sure to post content that has my face on it instead of the guest. And then for the guest, we give, like, see, like, for example, your clip was just literally you. Yeah. So interesting, but, interesting. But that's, what I, that's why I post it on every platform. Yeah. Because I want to. Yeah. You didn't ask me to. You sent me the video and then I did it because you made it about me. So why wouldn't I? Does that make sense? Yeah. You make it all about them. And then as far as for your personal brand, it should just be you asking the question at the beginning and then let most of the video be about them. Because you're already going to post content of your own anyways throughout the rest of the week. Does that make sense? Yes. So when it's time and you've got Lewis Howes or Damon John or Small Big, it doesn't matter who it is, lead it off their face and you next to each other, you in the question, and then the rest is about them. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Very because you're already there. The, yeah. People are already drinking the Kool Aid. They're already following you. Does that make sense? Like yeah. Are, we're already there, so you don't have to make it about you. I'm already there. Hmm. I want to see you interviewing that guy or that girl. I want to see you do what you do. Mm-hmm. I like that. I dig that. So over the past many, many, many years in entrepreneurship, what's the number one biggest lesson you've learned that you can share with the audience out there? Um, being, I mean, communication is number one. Good or bad, the communication is so critical. So let me give you an example. You tell me that this podcast is going to be, I'm going to have the video by Friday. Okay. So I'm planning for Friday to post the video because you said the video is going to be ready Friday. You don't get it to me until Sunday night. It doesn't seem that bad, right? But now I changed around things and I don't, I don't trust you as much. Like you just didn't come through. What if you told me that the podcast was coming out? You're going to get it to me by Monday, but you gave it to me Friday or Sunday night. In either scenario, you came through early. If you say you're going to make t-shirts for me and you tell me they're going to be here Monday and I get them Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, I love you. If you tell me that they're coming Friday and I get them Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. So being communicative, whether things are good or bad and never overpromising. It'll always, always, always put you in a better spot. 
So that's the number one lesson you got. All right, awesome. So now let's let's go back into your personal life. So you're four years old. You're doing what you do at Swap Meet. Uh, what happened next? Um, middle school, I was selling baseball cards and candy bars in school. And I had five out of my six teachers in every single year would always sell my candy at the front of the classroom. And I would bribe them with candy for themselves, not money. And the, te- <laughs> and the teachers would allow me to be the, a candy stand in everybody's classroom, essentially. And so you bribe the teachers with candy? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to pay them. And I didn't. That's so hilarious. my mom was my backer and we'd go to Costco every Sunday. And I'd have candy Monday through Friday. And that's how I met my business partner was he was my number one customer because I was driving my 1982 Buick in high school. He had a Corvette and an Escalade at 16 years old because his parents had a humongous company. So he would buy a bunch of my candy. I used to sell the little cereal boxes and I'd buy those 30 pack at Costco and sell them for a dollar each. The box was $6.50. I sold $30 worth of cereal boxes. I was crushing it. so he used to buy a bunch of that candy and cereal from me all the time. And he would then buy a bunch and then give it to the girls for free because he was just the baller guy. Mm-hmm. So then I used to start, he would pay me 50 bucks per essay and I would write essays for him and do homework for him. And other people would pay me for homework and essays. And I was making all this extra side money because I had to save up money for college. And I eventually saved $43,000 to pay for my college, which I never got to go to because I'll tell you later. But basically I, I put the money into my company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just working every hustle, every legal hustle that I could. I, I was never going to sell drugs. I want to sell candy. I want to sell cereal. I want to sell uh, whatever I had to do, I was going to do. And I would work all morning, noon, and night to do it. There was no off time for me. So speaking of selling drugs, why do you think people get into that environment? They're just, they're, they don't realize how entrepreneurial they are. If they just did that for a different business, they would be... Winners. Crushing. Think about the people. Like, they built up mini empires they took over blocks they have staff distribution reporting accounting invoicing like debt collection they had bought low sell high margins negotiations like they did everything for a business it's just the product itself was an illicit drug legal like if they just replaced that with something else t-shirts shoes watches tickets to events like those those same characters would be Millionaires. Interesting. So nowadays I realize a lot with entrepreneurs, or not entrepreneurs actually, younger, the younger generation where they're used to so much instant gratification and they're also used to getting everything they want when they grow up. So what happens is when they have to go out to the world is they get lost. They don't know that, oh my God, I have to do this on my own. I, I can't rely on anybody. I personally dealt with this myself. You know, my father growing up, great father, had amazing parents. He always gave me what I wanted. But when it came to really going out there, I thankfully got out of that mindset, but it took me a while. I still don't know how I did it though. It was kind of a lot of kind of like in a sense, personal development and just really pushing myself. But what would be your advice for everyone that's watching and they're stuck in that environment where they they know they have to push out of it, but they're just so in their zone that it's just so tough for them to do so. Well, it's kind of like jumping in the pool. Like you have to give yourself a reality check and realize that the industry the people, the social media, customers, nobody cares about you. Like, your parents care about you. Your parents coddle you and protect you from the dirt when you fall down, and they make sure that you they, they cut your food for you so that you eat it perfectly in the right sizes. But when you go out to a school campus or you go out to a job environment, 
it's kill or be killed. Like the other staff members want to level up above you to get the promotion. They're not there to, to coddle you. The other people in your, like in every environment, they're there for themselves. And you don't have that protector. You don't have that, those parents. I moved out when I was 17 and like dove right into the, into the world. You kind of dove into the room when you were four, man. Yeah. I still, <laughs> I still have my parents then. <laughs> um, but the point is, like, the reality is, if you're late, the customers don't care. They hate you. If you're late with your report to your teacher, they're mad at you. Like, if you're late at, at your office, they're mad at you. Like, everybody is on top of you and mad at you and wants to level up above you and get something from you. When you're at home, it's all opposite. Oh, it's okay, honey. Oh, let me cut that for you. Oh, no, we'll wait. If you're an hour late, we'll wait. We won't start eating until you get here. What? That's not reality. I grew up in a much harsher scenario. Like my, my mom, they weren't mean. They were just strict. Like if I didn't, get, if food was supposed to be at 6 p.m., I better be there at 5.59. That's why I'm obsessed with time. Mm -hmm. Like in all my meetings, I don't care if it's in a different city. I fly in four hours early to make sure I'm there outside 10 minutes like, and I look at my clock and then I walk in on right one minute before. Like, and you do this all the time? All the time. All the time. Like, so what, what if something comes up? So like, like for example, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You kind of, you kind of push yourself. So I guess that's interesting because today we left like four hours early, <laughs> but <laughs> we you know barely what, made it. <laughs> you know why it's easier nowadays is I don't mind being early because I can just be on my phone. Yeah. Have you noticed that people stop being as mad when you're late? Like you show up to somebody late 17 minutes to lunch, like, they're on their phone. They're chill. They don't we didn't have it. that back in the days. Ten years ago, there was no smartphones. We didn't have stuff to do. So they sit there, stare at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're just mad. Yeah. But now it's whatever. Like it, it's different. For me, I'm just obsessed with it. Like I, like, you know, I don't think people are getting enough reality checks. And I think our society, as you see, you saw what happened in 2018, where everybody's offended about absolutely everything. Like, it's only getting worse. In 2019. It's not going to get better. And what those people that are offended don't realize is they do a lot of bad stuff. And so when they cherry pick what they're offended about, that's not reality. That's not the real world. Hmm. You don't just cherry pick, oh, I, you got to be vegan or you got to be drug free or you got to be gain rights. Like they pick these topics, but then on the other side of it, they either are meat eaters or they do cocaine or they do these other things and they're cherry picking what they so they don't kind of follow through with what they're talking about. They're all acting sense. like they're perfect. Yeah. It's insanity. And I feel like that's how like social media does. Like that's that's the problem that it causes is everybody thinks this world is like some sort of perfection and it never will be. When it's really not. And it's interesting because even for the podcast, like when I first started the podcast, you know, starting up, you still don't know what you're doing. So I, I thought all these guys that were interviewing were like, oh my God, you know? And then I realized like, wait, we're all the same. We're human. You're the same. I'm the same. You just happen to be doing something different. That's pretty awesome. It's, it's fascinating, you know, props to you. But it's like, I think that's something people don't realize is I get so many questions all the time. Like, how do you connect? I'm like, it's really not that hard. You know, it comes down to as simple as you say, like being super emotionally attached mm -hmm. to the person that you're talking to. So take me, I, I recently saw a video that I actually reposted in my story about online real estate. Very interesting conversation. I'd like you to go more in depth on that. So essentially, because there's 7 billion plus people and growing, your online real estate's important. That's your .com as your name. That's all the social media profiles and every different variation of that. So the reason that's important is, let's say, 
a criminal has the exact same name as you. I use the example as a porn star or a person that committed a triple homicide. There's nothing wrong with being a porn star, and I feel bad about the guy that committed the triple homicide, but in either version, that person's name will have legacy online on Google forever. Like people that committed those type of crimes or did those type of things, even if it's 15 years ago, 10 years ago, eight years ago, that's always gonna win on Google. The problem for you is, if you have that exact same name, that can hurt really bad because you go to apply to be a real estate agent or you go apply to be a software developer at Google, you go to work at a tech company, first thing people do is Google you, no matter what job you go to. They Google you and they look at your social media and they, when they Google you and your name comes up as a triple homicide. Triple homicide <laughs> that would be bad. Right? Yeah. Because a lot of times they haven't met you yet. You're yeah. still a name that's just applied with a resume. So you get screwed over just like that. Forever. Forever. Mm. So it's important to just lock up your website under your name, lock up different variations, lock up all the social media accounts. All that's free. The website's like $10. Like everything is free or very, very cheap, but it's critical for the long term. Because, mm. and I do, you want to do it for your children. If you know your unborn child's name, lock that up too. Just lock it up. What does it cost? Nothing. It's just preventing a situation for the future. And because there's not that much online real estate, look at try to go buy any four letter.com right now. They're all 10000 to $200,000. Even if they're like a random jumbling of letters, they don't even try to buy three letter.com. You can pick any three letters and there's just, it costs you five figures or six figures. Hmm. Because there's just not that much real estate online. But when you have billions and billions of people, and people don't buy just one website, they buy multiple, and people don't just buy one domain, they buy multiple, the math starts to be shocking. You're the first one that I've ever heard talk about this. It's really interesting, because even like Gary Vee, he's so big on social media, I've never heard him talk about it in this manner. So it's really interesting. When I when I watched the video, I was like, I had to share it, because that's like, it's it's key. I think not, not a lot of people really understand the power of social media and the way it's growing. And that kind of takes me to my second question. What are the top three kind of trends you see happening or changes in the social media market or in the industry itself in the upcoming year? I mean, the main thing is people are just being more aware that they have to create content. So you're going to see a lot more people creating content. Um, the algorithm is tough and it could get tougher. And so people are going to be doing a lot more tactics to try to beat the algorithm and try to keep up with the Joneses. And essentially there's going to, there's room for other platforms which there never was before, but because the algorithm is so frustrating, there is room for other platforms. And So you think other social media apps will come to life? Yeah, I mean, TikTok is crushing it. They have so much money behind them. It's not really a social media platform for us. It's meant for high school kids, but um, there is room for other platforms now, finally. And it's only because of the stupid algorithms. <laughs> only because of that. Let me see. And what are, you, you talk about beating the algorithm. What, what, like, explain more. Like, what are certain tactics that, you know, you could recommend to somebody out there to do such a thing? And what does that even mean? Well, the algorithm just basically restricts your reach. So you could have 10,000 followers, but less than 1,000 people see it because Instagram decides who should see it, why, and when. So beating the algorithm is just, there's basic tricks are, one, getting people to have notifications turned on so that they like and comment quickly. If Instagram sees that people are liking commenting early, it'll expand the reach. Um, people are doing like uh, engagement groups where it's like 20 or 30 of them in a Instagram DM or a text message group. They all just message in when their post goes up so that they all go like and comment on each other's stuff. 
same thing as notification, but it's more forced. And you have to go like and comment, and then they have to do the same thing for you, otherwise you get kicked out of the group. So there's some of these simple basic tactics that are just essentially trying to trick Instagram until, what sucks is we should, we're tricking them into giving us what's ours. Uh, so even if they follow you, because I was actually learning about this recently, so even if they follow you, not everybody that follows you sees the post. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, like 9 out of 10 don't see it. Huh. You're saying that around 7% are seeing it. It's insane. What the heck? Unless you're doing good content that's shareable, then when people are commenting and liking and saving the post or sending the post to people, Instagram wakes it up and lets more people see it. I have some posts that get 10 to 30,000 views, some get 40,000 views, and then I have some that get two, three, four, five hundred thousand 500,000 views. That's more than I have following. It just, Instagram decides based on what people are telling it. Interesting. That's mind-boggling. Uh, actually, and, and we shouldn't. It shouldn't be a thing. It should just be. There's only one true algorithm that that matters, and that's the follow button. Because we all optionally push it. I should see everything that I follow, in real time. That's it. Yeah, it and they, they now they, they. I remember like how Instagram used to do that. Now, like sometimes, like yeah, because I've dealt with it myself. Or like friends of mine, they're you know just close friends. I always joke around like, why don't you like my posts and stuff like that? I'm like, I never actually I see it. anything. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Right. So that's 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 crazy. Take me now. So I want to get into an entrepreneur, somebody like me. I'm growing this, we're growing media company. My main company is a cybersecurity company. That's crushing it. We're doing, you know, over seven figures an hour, so we're doing pretty well. But the question I have for you, I wouldn't say get burnt out sometimes. It's just I get days where I just don't want to do anything. And coming back, looking back two years ago, I didn't want to do anything at all. So now the fact that I'm even surviving is, is awesome. But I want to be at a point where I can be at a consistent pace every single day. So what sort of tactics you'd recommend for someone like me or any entrepreneur out there that's listening to this that may be in the same position on what to do to cons- continuously remain consistent in what they do? Well, you just have to make things fun. If you make things fun or things that you like or things that are like what I call Easter eggs, if you make points of things to do in the day that excite you mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever that is for you, it makes you want to do it. I can't force passion. I can create excitement for you to have passion. So if my staff has to do 300 post screenshots and do a report, that's not fun or exciting, right? But I, but what I do is I have an Easter egg at the end of the day where I'm like, hey, after we get that report done, we're gonna do X, Y, Z, or I'm gonna do this, or we're gonna bring this in and do this. Like I'm, it's almost like dealing with children in a sense. I'm not saying in the rude way to them. I'm trying to incentivize and excite them to do things. Hmm. And you have to do that for yourself. Like if you work at a real estate job and you're bored at it, well, add in some fun stuff. Like I'm gonna go spend an hour touring some crazy mansions that I don't normally sell. I'm gonna go to an open house twice a week or an open house gathering twice a week to meet all the super high-end real estate agents, even if I'm 19. I'm gonna go meet these the 48-year-olds that are selling the luxury mansions. You just start doing things that excite you because it might be boring being 19 working at Coldwell Banker, but it's exciting to go at 7 p.m. to some crazy mansion and meet the brokers that are pulling up in Bentleys. Like, creating excitement for yourself, again, whatever that trigger is, it's mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever that is for you. Doing those things will help help you wake up every day. Hmm. Okay. Interestingly enough, a lot of people that I talk to, 
in the beginning when they start, they always want to make it big. I mean, that's their dream. And I, and I, at least from what I've learned so far, is I always recommend to hone down on their vision and really understand what you want. What's a recommend recommendation you'd give to an entrepreneur that's just starting up, that has all these dreams but doesn't know really how to organize the thought process? Write it down. The, most people don't don't make a business plan for their life. Cost you nothing. They make vision boards, but a vision board is just the ideas up on a wall. Those are great, but now actually writing out a plan on how to execute on the vision board. Everybody believes in the secret. Like you can just envision $65,000 check showing up at your house. <laughs> That's nice to think about and it's inspiring. But then you have to take all the actions to get that $65,000 check. And so people don't ever just write down their business plan and actually put down on paper what they have to do. And in that process, you're researching all the things that your competitors are doing, what's going on in the industry. You might not realize you don't like it, or you might get more excited by that space. So a lot of people, in order to actually do things, they just have to write it down. Okay. So just, it's very simple. I love how all your answers are just straightforward. Because it's reality. Yeah, that's what it is. Keep got to keep it real. So now take me back to your personal life. When did, you know, Elevator Studio start? So it was under a different name at first, um, but yeah, like six years ago or something. Right when Instagram was started popping. Okay. Um, what was the reason behind it? Like, what, what, did you did your uh, vision begin to what it is today, or yeah, so kind of? I was investing in a bunch of different companies, and my partner Brandon Hampton, he had tens of millions of followers on his Twitter accounts, and he started he was buying up all these Instagram accounts. So I was buying campaigns from him from different companies, twenty five k, fifty k, hundred k campaigns. And he was like, why do these come from different companies? Like, how do you own so many different companies? I said, I don't, I just have equity in different companies. I'm an investor. And he was like, well, how do I get equity? So we started doing trades where instead of giving him 50 grand or 100 grand, we would trade him, give him equity. And then it quickly evolved into us just becoming partners and starting a social media agency. So he owns The Notebook, which had like 6 million female followers. Forbes rated that the number one account in the world. Number one most engaged account in the world. Disney was number two. He owned at female, at fitness, at marijuana, at style, at travel, at hotels, like all these different accounts, which he still owns. So if you own at fitness, and I post about fitness accounts or fitness products, people will like it, right? So he owned that with, at beauty, at makeup, at weddings, all these different accounts. So when we first started, it was just brands. First it was my companies I invest in were spending money with us. And then it was brands that I was friends with, they were spending money with us. And then the influencers were posting about it. and then. Other brands were hitting up the influencers saying, hey, where'd you get that deal from? And so we've done more Instagram paid posts than anybody in history by far. It's not even close. <laughs> Facebook's banking off you guys, huh? No, they don't make any money from it. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we're a direct, we are a direct influencer. We brand money, pay the influencer. That's it. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Oh, oh yeah, 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 so you do influencer promotions. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. My bad, my yeah, bad. Yeah, we don't do paid media. We, mm -hmm. we outsource that to... To our different is there a reason why you don't? Because two of my friends, one does spends two hundred million a year on Facebook, and the other spends like one sixty or one seventy. So I'm not going to try to outsmart them. They got forty to hundred employees, and they're living and breathing Facebook ads, and they do Pinterest, Google, etc. When my friends do that, it's like, why would I even bother? Just send them the business; they'll give me a commission. Everybody's happy. Is influencer marketing a better tactic than paid promotion? Or? I always say both. It's just like. Use everything you got. Yeah, the when when I talk about why 
McDonald's and Netflix and all these companies, fashion brands should use social media. I'm not saying stop doing billboards and TV. I'm just saying you're overspending on that. You're paying way too high of a rate, obviously. Spend a portion of your budget. I'll give you an example. We did it for an app last year. Very, 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 very famous app. And they gave us a budget. We spent $500,000 in one day for them. Okay. We gave them the reporting and they actually gave us a report and said, hey, you were super close to our TV spend in performance. Like you guys crushed it. I was like, wow, that's awesome. How much did you spend on TV? They said, oh, we spent $9 million this week. I said, hold on. We got close with 500K. We had 1 18th of the budget. What would happen if we had the same Nine budget? $9 million. Like, yeah. So it makes people realize that the cost of social media and the performance of social media well, is one tenth to one twentieth of the price and working and it's much more instantaneous than a billboard or a TV because they have their phone in their hand when they see the social media. Now so do you see these prices going up in the future? It's hard. Some of it's going down, some of it's going up. Some influencers are realizing what their value is and some influencers are realizing that they're posting so many different brands that their value gets watered down. So. It'll be both. It averages out. Hmm. As an influencer, I mean, I don't really count myself as one yet, but as an influencer that's really growing out there, how, how do you keep the balance between, it's an interesting topic you brought up, when watering yourself down because of too many ads versus, you know, keeping your quality content the way it is? Yeah, you just have to pump out good content. It's insane for people to just post ads because they will become ineffective and your audience will be, what the heck are you doing? What are you yeah. doing? They're just going to... If you're a fitness influencer or beauty and makeup or you fix cars, whatever you do, do a lot more of that than ads. That's just basic human understanding of like, your fans will love you because you're providing the same concept I said earlier. If you're providing a bunch of free value content to your fans, they will then buy stuff when you bring it up. If you just post about buy, 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 they become numb to it. What kind of different tactics does an influencer need to make money on Instagram because I, I see that as an issue with a lot I mean I was talking to an influencer friend of mine where he says like most of his friends barely make any money so like what's what's like some sort of different strategies with your experience that an influencer can use to actually monetize their platform well contact brands that you want that fit in your world so if you're a male fitness guy or you're a female doing makeup contact all the brands in that space follow them DM them consistently comment and like on their stuff just all of them. If there's 300 makeup brands online, there's probably more. Follow and comment on all of them. That should be your job or have an intern do it. Like you should be living inside of social media for the clients that fit you. If you see your friends or uh, people, influencers that you look up to posting a brand, follow that brand, DM them. If you're a fitness dude or fitness girl and you like some fashion brand that just you saw them paying some big influencer, go message them, email them. Call them, message them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, DM, LinkedIn. Free, 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 free. The people are expecting checks to just come in the mail. The influencers are sitting at home with 106,000 followers hope, wondering why nobody's calling them. It's because there's 10,000 influencers. Call us, go message the brands. They want to pay you too. It's like going to high school prom. There's girls on one side and boys on the other. They both want to dance with each other. You just got to go put their hands Do together. That kind of goes back to my point about how people expect things to happen for themselves. Yeah. yeah. And they won't go out there and they, get it. They want, They think they're just going to end up on a TV show without going to castings. 
Yeah, people that end up on TV shows go to 200 castings in a month. They only talk about the time that they get casted. They don't talk about the 199 where they got rejected. Who cares about those? <laughs> you only need to get one show. You only need to hit one movie. The girl from Wonder Woman only went from, these people go from homeless to superstars and millionaires by landing one gig. But they go to everything. Look at Kevin Hart. I was playing poker with him. We were playing $5, $10 10 years ago and he was doing local comedy shows for $300, $500. And now he's where he's Now at. we play poker and he's buying in with millions. Of, like he's, <laughs> he's in a different world and he's tens of millions of dollars a year, like selling out arenas. Like he put in the work. He went to every freaking comedy, local comedy th club you could imagine for years. People don't think about all those years and all that time that goes into it. They just think it's all overnight success. Yeah, it's something I saw on a poster recently where I think it was you or, or I think it was Andy. Andy where Russell, yeah. Yeah, and I, idea's too late because like the moment it's out, it's 16, it's already five years old. So it kind of relates back to what you're saying. Take me now to at the position you're at. You've pretty much accomplished a lot in your life. What's... You're driving, I, I know you said you love it, but what, what's your driving factor? Like, what's the vision behind everything that you do? I, I just love the game. I, I don't know. I it's like, just something you'll do forever? This is not a... I mean, I don't know about forever. At some point, I'll just be, you know, running my own fund and investing in more projects. I, the agency side, I do because it's easy and everybody sucks. They don't have common sense. Like, what I do is not rocket science. It's just that people are not good at it. So that's why I'm able to excel. It's kind of like if you're in the forest, there's a, if there's a bear chasing us, I don't have to be faster than a bear, I have to be faster than you. The bear's gonna eat you and I'm gonna keep running. In the social media space, I'm just faster than the other guys because they all suck. So, like, I don't Do you think entrepreneurs overcomplicate things? Of course. Why? Why is that like a... Because they sit and watch everybody online all the time. They see their perfect lives every day. Like. Everybody's got six Lamborghinis and everybody has four private jets. They just, they're, they're looking at things that are not real reality. Entrepreneurial life became glorified, which I love, but there's some frustration to it at the same time. I love the fact that it became cool to be an entrepreneur. That's fantastic and it helps. It's going to create tens of millions of jobs. So I love that part. But I, the problem is that people think that you're supposed to get a Lamborghini tonight and have a private jet by Wednesday and... They don't understand, like, if your business did a 500,000 year one, you lost money. And you as the CEO probably didn't get paid. Sounds, yeah. sounds amazing. Oh my God, you went from zero to half a million. Like, how do you fucking, you must have a Lambo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no, dude. No, you're, th you're worried about payroll for the next month. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just told you, we, we, we're doing over seven figures and I, I, I don't get paid barely yeah. anything. Yeah. I'm pretty much living actually somebody who works at a regular job probably makes more money than me. They do. <laughs> I have a video coming out about that. Like, yeah. uh, people don't understand. Just being employee number four, that person makes more money than employee number one for the first few years. Oh, heck yeah, man. My sales guys, people under me, they they're, they're balling out of right. control. Right. <laughs> and I sit there and it's so funny because I get meetings all the time where, uh, you know, sometimes they complain like, oh, how can we do more? How can we do more? And I sit there and I'm like, man, you guys are so ungrateful. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that that's definitely the truth. You gotta I mean as a leader, there's 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 more to it than what you see 
out there and the, the biggest thing that I love about like people like you Gary V it's kind of initiative I'm taking too is I try to document everything I feel like you know I'm 21 so I'm still young still learning there's yep. a lot ahead of me but I feel like there's a lot 10 years later 20 years later people will look back and be like ah so that's what he had to do to get to where he is because I know for a fact yesterday I met someone who this kid he's like 16 he was like He's like, Adam, what you're doing is so cool. Like, like, how do you have, like, I, I don't even think I have anything. They're like, like 7,000, almost, we're almost at 10K. He's like, how'd you get 7K so fast? I'm like, what do you mean? I've been doing this for a whole year and barely grew, like, a couple thousand followers. Right. So people only see the end product. They never look into the depth of the nonsense. I mean, on our way here. They don't think about the f- you getting up four hours early to come here. Yeah, <laughs> he woke up, one of my, my director woke up at four in the morning, yeah. yeah, just to show up. And we were still a minute late, but we were supposed to be here at 10. But I think Sophia scheduled you pretty well, so she kind of did her job nicely. So, well, that's, 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 uh, this has been a very in-depth interview, insightful interview. My mind's going uh, all over the place now. I kind of lost track of questions just because I'm like, whoa, I'm like sinking in all this information. So, take me back to your college days. So you finished high school. Yeah, college lasted three weeks. Why? <laughs> they dropped me after three weeks. So. And what's your take on college? And do you recommend it for everybody? And if you do, who should be in college and who shouldn't? So college is meant for learning by yourself. It's not, there's very few jobs in the world now that look at your college education. The ones that do, means, okay, that's the ones that should be in college. There's some things that you just can't learn yourself or on the internet. Most things you can. But the people that are going there to be an art history major, people that are going to be marketing communications, like I'd rather you go be an intern at VaynerMedia, go be an intern at marketing company one, two, three in your town, or pick up and take the money you had saved up for college go move to LA, New York, Chicago, Miami and go work at a marketing firm or go work at a fashion brand or go work. Like the learning experience you would get working at my agency would make college, make four years of college look like a joke in 30 days. No, in a week. (laughs) You say that so firmly. Because we're in the trenches every day and we're running $80 million of budgets for clients. Like I'm, we live and breathe social media, marketing, psychology, accounts, shipping, like we're dealing with all of it. So how could you not learn more in the trenches than just being here than behind a classroom, learning from somebody that didn't do it? You're not getting somebody that ran huge campaigns, like the teacher there, God bless them for doing it, we need more teachers, but it's unlikely that they ran some big budget for Chanel or Forever 21 or whatever, you know what I mean? Like they're teaching what they read in books or what their experience was working at a job. Again, it's no offense to them, and we need them, and I applaud them, and they should be paid more. But at the end of the day, if your job that you want to go into is not like a doctor, a lawyer, accounting, like those type of things, it going there to be a, a history major, like what job are you going to go get? Are you going to go work at a museum? Mm. Like what, what, are you try, what are you there for? But even, here's the thing, man, like, I was having a discussion with my director recently. I feel, maybe I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, heck, but I feel like college, what's happening, at least in my industry, in the security industry, you can drop out, take classes specialized specifically for that. Yeah, and I feel like even for doctors, lawyers, it's not there yet, but I have a 
pretty strong feeling that that's going to happen sooner or later where even for that aspect, you can go to a special private school for well, it. Well, at some point, doctors and lawyers, their school should not have all the history and social arts and other classes. Those are distractions to these doctors and lawyers, and that's why it takes them Forever. eight to ten years to graduate. It's ridiculous. I don't need them to... Why would it take 4,000 days to learn this stuff? Come on, guys. Like, four years is plenty to, to learn anything. Even I trust a doctor after four years. I don't need them to be 10 years. Like, I trust you to cut me open if you spent four years and only learned about medical medicine. If you're also taking PE classes and social arts and art history, like, okay, then the four years makes sense why you take eight or 10. But if you just go to medical school and it's just about medical school or you're just learning to be a lawyer and it's only about being a lawyer, it should never take you eight years or 10 years. It's, that's insanity. We have too much information. We have too much Google and technology and platforms. And like, it's just too much easier to learn compared to back in the days when we had these huge history books and it was all written in 1937. Like, we don't have that anymore. We are a technological society that can learn much faster, much more effectively. And we're still running our school system like the, the, the dark old ages. Days. Yeah. yeah. So I have a friend of mine. He is in this position where he's studying marketing, right? His parents are kind of very against, I guess, him dropping out. Yet, uh, I, I work with him from time to time. So I keep telling him, like, hey, man, if you really love what you do, you love your craft, I think just take off some school and go go learn it on your own because I honestly think you can, like, you know, nourish and grow in that aspect. But he's so afraid of, you know, disappointing them. So what's an advice? What's what's a, What would be your advice for somebody like that? Do both. Go watch every course online. Go research everything online. Go Google everything. Go to every marketing event and take a side job or a side internship for free and go work at these companies that you like. The, the Should you care about the whole disappointment aspect from parents? I mean, there's a care. Just gonna there's happen? a care to it, but like, I, I mean, I got fired from San Diego State after week three, but I also already had a warehouse in LA and a showroom in New York, and we're doing nine and a half million in sales. I was 18 years old. So my mom was sad that I got left San Diego State or got thrown out of San Diego State. But I also was replacing that, that void with a career. If you just say, I'm not going to San Diego State, and you sit at home and eat Cheetos and watch Fortnite, okay, well, that makes sense why they'd be upset with you. If you say, hey, I'm not going to go to school anymore because I got a job working for Forever 21 in the marketing department, that's a different thing. Oh, I'm going to work for Interscope Records. Like, it's a different discussion. If you just, if you leave and have nothing to fill the void, of course they're going to be upset with you. And should you care? That depends on your relationship. I, I cared, but I cared more about my, building my career, and my family was supportive and confused at the same time. It's a lot. Confused why? Confused because it's hard to grasp that I was doing... Nine million in sales by the age of eighteen. That's gnarly. You want to work? That's that's just so you you're very real. I, I like it. Super straightforward. So, w would you say all that literally came from just putting in the work? Like, there's no. I'm guessing there's no magic formula to this. I have more hours than everybody else. You have more hours than everybody else. What do you mean? Like you don't sleep? I just work morning and night, and everybody else likes to watch TV and play video games. Or, they, or they're filling their hours with fake work. A lot of people are busy. Hmm. I don't do busy stuff. 
I don't, a lot of people have a lot of meetings. And you do B2C, right? Yeah. That's your focus. So this comes to my final question because we're running out of time here. I, I, I'm in a business of B2B. So my establishments are with C-level execs from CEO all the way down to like CIO, CTO. Those mm-hmm. are the guys that I want to talk to. A strategy that I'm creating right now is I'm getting in front of them using the podcast, right? You know, interview them. It works, but so many gatekeepers. And it's so interesting because I find it a lot easier to get people like you on my podcast because you're on social media versus the guys that aren't. You know, because it's like, how do you reach these guys? My question to you is the following. And the reason why I'm asking this is, yes, it can help me, but I'm sure there's a lot of viewers out there that also are in the same position. When you're first starting, sure, we're making over seven figures, but we're still very small. That's literally nothing. How do you grow your base of clients? And especially for someone like me, I'm in a security business. Everyone's older, so I have to come in wearing a suit. I have to obviously, you know, make up for that age difference. Or maybe I'm thinking of it incorrectly. If I am, please do let me know. But how does someone like me go off and, you know, build relationships with all these C execs at a faster pace? Because I definitely don't want to sit back and, like, I will work day in and day out. But I have hours sometimes where I'm seriously just confused, mind-boggled on what I should do to get myself out there more. So I did a B2B one. It was a tech company called MoPro.com. And I got 1,100 clients in four months. And here's how I did it. And every client, every client was a five thousand dollar contract up front. So I hired sales reps and at very low bases with plus commission. And some of them were interns that were just commission only. And I went to every convention, I went to every trade show, and I had them incentivized to go to local events a minimum twice a week. In the wedding category, the accountants convention, the lawyers convention, the local business bureau. And I had these people and you do it whether it's yourself or you get reps. And I had them everywhere. So every single week there's a convention, a trade show, especially the city that you're in. On the West Coast, we have, we're spoiled because we have LA, Orange County, San Francisco, San Diego, and Las Vegas. Convention, 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 every single week in all these industries, especially for sea level. The convention trade shows, I didn't have some big fancy booth. I either had no booth and I was just a ninja and we'd go there and meet everybody, or I had a small booth and I would go talk to all the other booths as my who I was pitching to and go make friends with all them. But the point is, nonstop, I was had my people out in the streets. Then online at nighttime, I had them on LinkedIn, I had them on Instagram, I had them on Facebook, I had them on Twitter. Twitter's way better because most of, the, B2B? Yeah, most of the C-level executives, they have Twitter. Really? Huh. And if it's not them, it's the person below them, above them, or on the side of them. I can go find the chief marketing officer of Colgate, Palmolive, Tide, and they only have 3,700 followers. Nobody knows who they are. There's no companies you can't find them on LinkedIn or Twitter. Facebook and Instagram is more personal and it's harder because that's actual harder content for them to create. But all these C-level executives have LinkedIn's and Twitter's. And then you just go find them. Just message them, create good content, have them see you. Tell The biggest sale, the way I do all my sales, which aren't actual actually sales is, I lead the discussion telling them what I do for their competitors. And then it removes them able to say no. Their hesitation is that they don't wanna get fired. So let's say I'm selling my energy drink I went and got us into 55,000 retail stores and I cannot remember one time somebody saying no. You know why? One, Please. I probably blocked it out. 
But I still, I, honestly, if you put a lie detector test on me, I would pass. Not one person said no in 55,000 stores. Two, I went in and just said, I'm already in 7-Eleven, I'm already in Rouse. Uh, how many beverages, or how many drinks would you like for your chain? Like, I would just lead into the sale. Should, should we do it for the region? Should we do it nationwide? Like, you're not uh, even asking, do you want to do business? Like, no, it's not an it. option. You're gonna I already sold your competitors. Why would you not buy from me? <sighs> you know how I got into their competitors? I went to the 7-Eleven Rouse first, and I said, hey, at 1 o'clock, I got to go meet with Rouse. Um, but Budweiser said that they distribute to you here, and that's my distributor. So just want to figure out how many we should do here. It's not a sale. I'm just explaining that they're ordering from me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but if you already have their competitors, if you're already doing cybersecurity for their similar type companies, what are they going to say no to you for? If you go in with that attitude, you should actually be shocked if they say no. The biggest thing is we're, we're closing deals that are from 50 to 100K a month. So they take a little bit longer. Or My energy quarters were millions of dollars at a time. It's all relative. Hmm. If I Costco buys two point two million for a month, Seven Eleven buys seven figures for the like like these people are making a big decision. It's all relative. But then the local liquor stores, I'd go to them too. Them buying fifteen hundred bucks, fifteen hundred bucks to them was the same as fifty thousand to that person. It's all relative to these companies. So it's the way you display it to them. It's the way that if you're selling them something that they don't need or something that's a a luxury, it's a different discussion. If I'm selling them something that's in their space, it's what they do. And if it's what they do and cybersecurity is what they need, I, I don't even have a, I don't leave any room for them to give me pushback. Wow, that's awesome. So my final question, you're an advisor to 26 companies? 31. 31 now, okay. How does someone become your 32? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I get three or 400 applications a month. So it's 30, 31 sounds like a lot. I'm getting thousands and thousands of pitches a year for the last five years. So 31 is not that many. It's just I'm so picky and it's because I only want to help companies that I can help. Whether I invest in them or take a piece of their company or both, it, it all depends on what they are. It's mostly physical products, mobile apps, things that are in my space. If you are doing heart surgeries, God bless you, I can't help you with your heart surgeries. If you're selling t-shirts with hearts on them, I can sell a lot of t-shirts with hearts on them. So. It, I have to be able to help what it is that it's the category. Alrighty. Awesome. Any last advice you can offer the people out there? Yeah, just get started. <laughs> so straight up, I love it. Alright, my man, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Sweet. <laughs>